Welcome back to another episode of the Last Star Regular Podcast. Extra large opinions from regular sized dudes. I'm your host, Richard, and today we've got Morgan and Nick. We're not in the basement, but um, it's around dinner time. So who's hungry? Starving. Super hungry. I just got back from Costco, so I'm like, I'm good. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the first question I want to ask is, what was your last extremely bad vomit-inducing meal? Ooh, vomit-inducing. Usually people ask you, right, like, what's your favorite meal? But what about vomit-inducing? Have you ever, or maybe you haven't ever had this, but have you had a meal that was just so bad that you wanted to throw up because of the taste? Uh, don't Probably something that. that has gone off, right? Like, I definitely gagged when I sniffed like, off food from the fridge, but I don't think I've eaten anything that's given me like the same reaction. You should try to eat it. <laughs> like two week old chicken. I'll, I'll tell you my example. One time, I made, I think I made a uh, Swiss roll, but I had some heavy cream in my fridge. I probably, like, it was half open. So I used half, and then there was another half left. So I used the heavy cream in, to make this Swiss roll, and I left it in the fridge for maybe like a couple of days. So without tasting what the cream was like, I took a bite, and it was so bitter. I don't know why, but it was just like the most bitter thing I've ever had. And I've had Chinese medicine. I have that stuff on the regular. Yep. So this was worse than that, and that made me gag so bad. Like that was one of the worst things I've ever had. It's just wow. like imagine bitter... Not, not an inch of sweetness to it. You're expecting something sweet, but it's just trash. You guys have mm. any of those experiences? I do. I haven't experienced that. I, don't, I wouldn't say it's vomit-inducing, but it definitely wasn't great. And I have this policy where it's never waste food. That is edible, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember, so like, I don't know, a few of my friends know me. Like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I like sometimes baking, and I can only bake one thing, which is a cheesecake. But I do remember the very first time I made it is with Japanese cheesecake. Um, I was in the kitchen, like uh, in my parents' place, and uh, I I didn't know where my mum normally puts like the sugar and shit. I fucking chucked in oh, in place of sugar, salt <laughs> to this cake. I made it, and it looked amazing. I was like, oh boy, this is going to be the best cake ever. Fucking took a bite. <laughs> I don't know how to describe the taste. It was like it was like eating. It was like expecting to eat something sweet, but then it tastes like a fucking Jats biscuit. I think would be probably the best way to put it. Dude, that's amazing. I'm surprised that that cheesecake turned out okay because usually you have meringue and like it rises. Yeah, so it makes that fluffy texture. Yeah, you still got that fluffy texture with salt. Uh, I wouldn't say I really got the super fluffy texture. It was like, it was well, it was like yellow and brown on the top, like brownish, not like, you know, very brown. So it was like that. It looked okay, but yeah, I, yeah. the texture was definitely a lot more like, what's it called? Like harder Yeah. <laughs> than, than it was soft. Let's put it that way, okay. right? Okay. Yeah, I knew something was wrong when I cut and I was like, hmm. Yeah, yeah so not the best. How about you, Nick? Uh, I, I, can't, I really can't think of anything that has given me direction. But when Richard was talking about something that's super bitter, have you guys know? Do you guys know what chicken essence is? Yes. No, I don't know what it is. What is that? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like MSG. 
it's not that chicken essence. But when I was younger, my mom bought these like bottles. So it was like these little like green or dark dark green bottles of li- liquid called chicken essence. And it's meant to be like a concentrated like chicken nutrients or something along those lines. Think of it. And, think of it like chicken broth. Like you know how you make chicken stock or chicken broth, but like multiply the density of chicken broth by like you know ten times, and you got chicken essence. Yeah. Yep. So you know, it's like you know, I, I saw it and I was like, chicken essence. Oh yeah, I like chicken soup. Chicken's good. <laughs> so you meant to. My mom told me to just like drink it out of like a bottle. So it comes in like these little maybe like hundred milliliter bottles. So I just shot it, <laughs> thinking it would just be fine. <laughs> Oh my god, holy shit. Like I just want I pretty much like gagged and just like choked on myself immediately. Cause it was uh, how do you describe the flavor, Morgan? Like I just it just the uh, most like bitter like it's unpleasant like, flavor. No sweetness whatsoever, no saltiness. It was like consuming a seal guy, like a soy chicken, but in the form of like a pellet. Like imagine all that flavor but condensed into a pellet. That's crazy. Yeah, I've never had something like that. Do you know what it's supposed to be good for, though? It's supposed to be heaps good for brain development. So my parents made me take three shots of that before the selective school test. Holy (laughs) No wonder I failed. No wonder I did do as well as I could. No wonder I didn't get Roos. Far out. Should have taken taken chicken essence, bro. Chicken essence. (laughs) Shit, man. It's always the thing. Like, if it tastes bad for you, it must be good for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. I reckon that shit has so much nutrients. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so as you may have been able to tell, this week we'll be talking about food and how loving food has become the most common personality trait I've seen at least on dating apps. So food, water, shelter, and clothing are considered the basic needs for life. We need food to survive, but nowadays it is so much more than that has become such an integral part of modern culture. For better or worse, we have food bloggers, food critics, amateur chef competitions like MasterChef, um, entire food festivals dedicated to certain cuisines, uh, Gordon Ramsay, which is a plus. And I feel like all of these lead to the bringing together of people. So uh, my first question is, what does food mean to you? Does it give you that ratatouille moment where it brings back uh, childhood memory? Maybe you have a desire to pursue a career in the culinary world, or maybe for you it's just a way of sustaining yourself. Um, I guess for me it's more of um, I get the satisfaction of, you know, after I complete a dish, right, Um, and just tasting it and having it turn out like how you – you've envisioned it to taste like and sharing that food with other people is like one of the most satisfying feelings I think for me. And that's why I enjoy cooking. Um, I don't think it, I feel like I don't really cook dishes and stuff I ate during childhood, but they do. I, there are lots of fond memories, but I haven't tried to recreate a lot of the stuff that my mom's um, mom used to make maybe because um, I can always still eat her food. So I haven't had the need to. So you've kind of kept her food as her food and you make your own. Kind of, yeah, in that sort of way. Um, I, I, I've only tried to make like maybe like two of her signature dishes and, you know, it's never as good as like, you know, my mom makes, you know. So what's the point? Yeah, of course. That's my, sort of my justification. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 
I guess, yeah, I guess for me, um, definitely, definitely more childhood. I wouldn't say childhood memory, but like for me, I'm a big comfort food dude, like, and it's getting actually pretty bad during this COVID situation, but that's another just story. Snacking all the time. <laughs> yeah. Not like snacking or even just cooking some good food. Like I can never resist some good food. And like, considering that my mom just always seems to have this knack for just making new things, it, it re- it's really bad. Um, but I guess, yeah, for me, I think cooking for me at this point in time is really, it's, it's two things. Like I think one is really to connect with your parents, especially because cooking has been such a big part of my mom's life. Like she really enjoys it. And so it's a really good way to connect with her, uh, like cooking or learning stuff. But I guess the other thing is as well is sort of to continue a little bit of that culture. So like for me, when I normally cook, it's mostly the easier stuff like Western style food, like pasta um, mm. or like, you know, uh, steak or like whatever it may be. But I think Chinese food uh, or ch- like has definitely a lot more like, I guess, technique to it and it's a little bit harder. And I really want to, I guess, continue that culture um, yeah. like, you know, in the future. And so that's also another part for me. Yeah, cool. I can attest to Morgan's mom being a excellent cook because she our families are super close and she sometimes like brings food over just for us to try or just to just to give it to us um you do bring up a good point which is how chinese food seems to be more technique based because it seems like there's no real recipe for chinese food some of the times you just like chuck shit in. Oh yeah, put a bit of salt. Oh yeah, put a bit of uh, soy sauce. Like, yeah, so how sugar, much? Whatever. <laughs> I, I don't think a teaspoon or tablespoon exists in like Chinese cooking. It's just like nah, bro. a little bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and somehow it just always turns out really good. Um, one thing I want to touch back on, Nick, is the fact that you're now living alone or you're away from home, mm-hmm. whereas Morgan and I are still at home. Has food for you, like the idea of food changed because of that, um, I guess, separation from home or has it become, uh, I guess, more of a chore than it is like something fun to do? Has that ever happened to you, like that that shift in mentality? Um, it's kind of yes and no. Um, so when I first moved out, um, you know, because when I moved at home, my mom would do pretty much all of the cooking, like 99% of the cooking. And I would do maybe, you know, I would cook some for myself on the weekend. So I didn't have the freedom to really, you know, do what I wanted in the kitchen until I moved out to Melbourne. But then, so it was fun in the beginning, but then eventually, you know, as work gets busier and then, you know, you have other responsibilities, you start to see it as a bit of a chore sometimes. Um, Especially now, I guess, since I'm living with Mandy as well, um, pretty much before I could cook like a meal and then have it last me like you know four meals but now it lasts us like two meals because oh yeah half the time so yeah. because of that you feel the pressure to always have to make something and that's the part i don't like so mm. but it, i still enjoy like on the weekends when you have all the time and just like doing like a long recipe and actually you know doing it from start to finish and not have to worry about ah oh, crap i gotta get off work at this time to cook so we can still have dinner you know before nine or something like that but, yeah so it's changed a bit um but I think now that um, because of COVID and I'm at home most of the time, that I've started to enjoy it more because, um, you know, I can just like, you know, start like a long cook during lunchtime or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And not have to Working worry Working from it. home gives you that opportunity, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Mm. 
All right. So for me, to answer my own question, like what does food mean to me? Uh, personally, food or making food, I see it like a art form because I'm not just into food. I'm also into uh, mixology, which is drinks as well. Because uh, I think loving food is quite easy. Like everyone in the world, I think, loves food to some, ex- to some extent. But for me, I want to know how the dish is made. I like I'm interested in like the techniques and how to how it was used to create some sort of element on that dish. That's what really intrigues me. Uh, maybe it's the engineer side of me that comes through there. So I think to myself a lot, like when I go out to restaurants, when I order something, I'm like, okay, how hard is it to actually make this? Sometimes it's super easy, which I found for things like Eggs Benedict. You know, when you go to like a coffee shop or like somewhere to, to get brunch, mm-hmm. lots of people go for the poached eggs. I'm like, that's that's like <laughs> easiest thing to make. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to order this. I'll go for something that's higher value, like scrambled eggs. <laughs> you know, okay, to make a, a bit of scrambled eggs, or actually to make a lot of scrambled eggs, you need a lot of eggs. So for me, that's like the highest value. High value, yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back on. We'll come back to like value of food a bit later. Um, but sometimes things I realize is super hard. For example, demi glass sauce. I didn't realize how hard that was to make. It takes like hours and hours. Fur is super hard to make. It takes ages and ages. Mm-hmm. So things like that is interesting. Just to know the background to how food is made. But I also love sharing food with others. Uh, Nick, you and I, and a bunch of our high school friends, we had our cooking group when you were back in Sydney. Mm-hmm. I always look forward to that when, when we had that because it was just like a communal opportunity just to get together and all help in making a, uh, a dish for each yeah, other. really miss those days right now. Yeah, man. Um, and lastly, I feel like the need to share with others is kind of innate in uh, human beings. Like... I was watching a documentary once where it was David Adam Attenborough, and there was a there was a bird called the cuckoo bird. So this cuckoo bird, like, it's like a cuck. So <laughs> it lays its egg in another bird's nest, right? And when it hatches, that bird just like leeches off the it's mother a parasite. Bird. Yeah, it's a parasite, essentially a parasite. But the other bird doesn't care. Like the mother bird doesn't care. It just keeps feeding. All three, like all, all, like all, all of the chicks that are there. Yeah. So even though this is like a weird case, but I think it's just in innate for living things to just share stuff mm-hmm. with each other, mm-hmm. which I find pretty interesting. Um, the next thing I want to move on to is food bloggers and everything on that you see on social media nowadays, which is like. Or the people you see taking food, taking photographs of food before they eat. Like there's a common saying, camera eats first. Mm. So I don't know if you guys are that into taking photos of food. I, th- I think probably I am the most. But what are you guys' thoughts on this new culture that's ar- arisen because of social media? And how has that, I guess, affected what's, I guess, what's available in the, in, in the food world? Um, I don't know, like I, I have a sort of a mixed opinion on this, I guess. Um, at one stage I can see why people find the people who do the whole photo eats first, sort of like camera eats first, sort of like thing annoying. It's sort of like, 
we cooked this food. It smells amazing. My fucking stomach is grumbling. But nah, like, let's spend the first 15 minutes putting all this food together, organizing it so it looks pretty. Like, it's not even real anymore. Like, you're, you're, you're placing it in a way which makes it look pretty and then go, cool, I'm going to take a photo to share. Um, but, yeah. like, I guess on the other hand, I also understand, like, the whole concept of bring people closer. Like, the purpose of taking a lot of this photo is to share with other people who might not have the opportunity to eat the food. And I think for me, that's, that, that's a cool thing. It's like you you want to share the food with someone, even if you can't physically share the food with them, you want to share it to them um, in a photographic manner. So, like, that I do appreciate. Um, I guess sometimes it's just, for me, it's probably just taken to an extent where I feel like it's just not worth it. Like, if I had a freaking bowl of, like, um, I don't know, instant noodles with some spam on it, like, I ain't taking a photo of that and sending it, <laughs> right? But, like, some people, some people will. Some people some people will. Really want that. Yeah. <laughs> I, Exactly, but like, imagine if it was a, a meal you were having almost like four or five times a day. I mean, like, sorry, not a day, four or five times like a week, right? It becomes a regular thing. Like, don't. Like, if you have brunch every weekend, don't send the brunch to your mates every weekend. There's no point. It looks the fucking same. That is true. Like, it's always the most unique thing that you want to share. It's, mm. it's really like the same thing you, you share mm. over and over and over again, especially on the social medias. It's always yeah. something new. Um, what about you, Nick? Do you do you have this urge to share your food adventures? Uh, I think a few years ago I did have a bit. So on my Instagram, I don't, I don't post anymore. But I only the first few posts were about were like food pictures. But nowadays, like you know, I don't really see the point because I, I'm really cooking for myself and not really to show other people what I made. Impress. I, it seems a bit show like peacocking, like a bit. You know, like peacock. <laughs> it's hundred. I feel like it's hundred percent peacock. I just uh, and it just like doesn't. It just rubs me the wrong way now. So I do take pictures sometimes, for, but for myself, my own like you know records. Um, yeah. To look back on. Um, yeah. But the whole culture, I'm sort of indifferent. Um, but you know, it. But I feel like nowadays a lot of food, at certain places, they just like really make it look pretty but not add anything to like not taste pretty so yeah it doesn't add anything to the taste and and that mm-hmm. sort of i mean i guess i can't really blame them i guess they really you know try to take advantage of the culture yeah, it's, these days it is it is the most popular thing nowadays to you know you go to a certain place just so you can try that one super instagrammable dish that they have yep and <laughs> it does yeah. i feel like everyone's trying to get that yeah, I actually think that that is probably the the whole reason why I sort of frown upon the practice the 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 like the I guess the social media aspect of showcasing a dish to gloat of like hey look I've been here I've eaten this like that for me is probably the 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 bad part of this whole photo taking thing and then like once that happens like a famous person does it like 467 other people also want to go to that restaurant and take that exact same photo and post it on their Instagram. And it's sort of like, what's the point? Mm, I guess right. it's really good for business though. It is. I, I'd yeah, say yeah. so. So it's to the business. It's like, yeah, we want more of these people to mm. take photos of our, uh, of our food. And one prime example, which I just found out recently was, you know, Reynold from MasterChef. Mm-hmm. I follow him on Instagram and he went to Top Ride Bakery or something for banh mi, like Vietnamese mm-hmm. uh, pork roll. Mm-hmm. And like most pork roll places, they just give it to you in a 
white, like a white bag, like white paper bag. White paper bag, yeah. Yeah. But this place, they have like a, they, ha- they have their own paper bag, which says like top right bakery. So whenever someone takes a photo of their barn me, it just says top right bakery. Fuck. And man. last time I went there, man, it was like genius. Last time I went there, maybe uh, two weeks ago, the line there was ridiculous. Like this is right outside Woolies. So it's almost like a Great Wall of China. From one side of Woolies to the other side of Woolies. And people have to like squeeze through the gaps to get to just to get in and out from Woolies. Mm. It was actually crazy. So I think there is a major advantage uh, for businesses during uh, just, just to present themselves in a way that they can be uh, showcased on social media. It's to their advantage. There's no real downside, I think. And um, being able to see what pe- where people are eating at is also really good. And that kind of leads me on to, I guess, uh, I, I did reach out to some of my foodie friends uh, for, I guess, some of their responses or some of their answers in this episode. Um, it's interesting because some of these people I've never met before in my life. Like I just talk to them on social media because I just follow them and I see some of their stuff and I support them. They support me. It's kind of like a two-way street sometimes. And it's really interesting, the dynamic where you have a connection just based off of food. So I, w- I just wanted to share this question, which is, what was the reason for starting your food blog slash Instagram account? Is it simply because you love food or is there perhaps a personal goal or achievement you want to reach? Um, I had a few responses to this question and some of them are similar, but some of them are also very different. At the, at the root of it, I think all of these people really wanted to have a place to uh, record all the places they went to. Like you, I think you mentioned this before, Morgan. It's like a, um, it's almost diary. like a diary entry or like a, uh, what do you call it? Journal. Journal, yeah, like a food journal of all these places they went to, and a lot of the time they just want to try new places after new places. It's like a checklist. So, for um, one of my friends, she wanted to pretty much try all the places in Sydney because she's really liked, I guess, different cultures and different different cuisines. So knowing that there could be something out there that might be even better than the one she had today really drives her to just like, okay, I'll, I'll try something X, try something new, try something exciting. So for so for a lot of these people, it's like, like a personal achievement. It's almost... Personal gratification or like... Because uh, you use the word checklist, right? Mm. So it sounds like they have a a basically a list of places that they want to go to, and it gives them a sense of achievement that they've sort of checked off a bunch of places they want to visit. I had a quick I had a quick thought, right? Yeah. How many of these food blockers do you think, right? Like I I think indisputedly they must love food, but how many of them do you think they thought? Hmm, I really like eating food. I really like trying really nice food. If I started blogging and I got popular, right, people would just give me the food for free. Oh, <laughs> I have I have one friend who did that. I'll bring it up. Yeah, it's like that's a good, yeah, anyway. that's a good anecdote, actually. Huh. I have a friend who it wasn't him, but he, he told me that it was his uh, ex girlfriend 
who always was, uh, ratting out really, the ex-girlfriend, <laughs> who did have a very popular uh, food review blog, and she was invited to a few sponsored lunches where they would allow her and him, like they, you could bring like a couple of people, one hundred twenty dollars worth of food to try. Like you can you can order up to one hundred twenty dollars, and I feel like it's quite rare to get this opportunity because that's the only person I know. It's like an ex of a friend. Mm. Um, and a lot of people, I feel like, do have that aspiration. But you have to be incredibly lucky in such a saturated saturated world of food reviewing mm-hmm. to be even... That's very true. ...make a difference, you know? I, I have a few friends who um, are food bloggers, um, like from uni and stuff. Um, I know one of them that um, did start a food blog and I think her purpose was to sort of um, – she, she I think she started it off as sort of like a personal journal as well when she went traveling. So, like, most of her photos were mostly from, like, when she was in the UK and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I think recently she stopped doing it because there was just – there was just increased pressure to sort of every week to keep providing – like more content around the food and like sometimes you might be busy and might not actually have the time to go to these like places to showcase the food and like ordinary food just I guess won't cut it. Um, but yeah, that was an interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's the expectation that all your posts has to be amazing. Yeah, yeah. So they started doing like um, single Instagram account but like shuffle it amongst like three or four people. So then it was like oh, even if oh. one person is like busy – Right, the other person yeah. can sort of like tap in and, oh, and wow. yeah, we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Lifestyle food blogging. <laughs> it's just going to be a whole bunch of instant noodles. Yeah, man. Like last time we talked about the Lifestyle Regulars uh, podcast band. So maybe we'll have also have like a food blogging team as well. <laughs> like expand to that point where we can... <laughs> We we'll have a finger in every pie in the world, every sort of mm. industry. We we'll just have like a lifestyle regular team. That'll be hilarious. We'll just be we'll just be called Lifestyle Regulars Holding Corporation. <laughs> uh, I might move on to the next question, which is: Do you think it's important for foodies to also enjoy cooking? Like, would you trust a food critic who did not also cook? Yeah. I'd say to a fair point, like I don't, I think taste um, is one of those things where uh, like you can be a very good taster, like as someone who can really distinguish between taste and understand all the various flavors, but you don't necessarily need to understand the, the, I guess the, the, the work behind it. Mm. That makes sense. Um, Yeah. Like I think, Tasting or eating is the culmination of being able to understand the pleasure or the discomfort from consuming a, a piece of food, which is the amalgamation of a lot of techniques and ingredients. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't say. I think it helps, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't trust someone. Yeah, yeah. Because when you think about it, like when someone cooks, I guess for maybe themselves or someone else they sort of always based on their own sort of taste right and just because you know how to cook doesn't mean that you sort of understand how like how the flavors work together and all that base knowledge i guess it, yeah like of course it like helps if you sort of know how they come together in the cook but i feel like i 
like you know i wouldn't consider myself like a good like a good taste or anything just like i feel like my tastes are very like narrow in terms mm. of stuff that i like but i can see yeah. how some other stuff or some other people could be like have an unbiased opinion on oh yeah this is like you know this is bad but even though i like it <laughs> but, yeah but it just feels like do you feel like there's no background if they don't understand much about cooking i feel like there is an expectation for a critic at least to also understand the processes behind how the food is made maybe it'll help you like you said maybe it'll help you appreciate the food more but possibly in judging whether it's good or bad maybe it's not quite because one thing one of my friends did say was you know simon cow yeah the guy who's is he on a food critic? no he's not a food critic but he can recognize singing talent even though he doesn't sing right yeah he he put together what's that band uh one direction direction yeah. yeah 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 so possibly it could be like that where you don't need to sing in order to discover mm. or understand that's a, what's I think that's a little different because i feel like because singing is like in that sort of industry it's also like very like saturated right i feel like mm. simon sort of recognizes like how marketable maybe someone is Maybe. and how to take advantage of that sort of thing because i'm sure you could find guys who are just as talented as the guys in one direction but they're not like, successful because you know they don't have the team behind them to market them or you know that sort of thing so yeah, mm, good point and here and simon i guess he has the resource and the connections to really you know to make that process easier that, well that's that's my opinion mm. okay the next question is because i know morgan you mentioned that you don't really cook that much mm. but for nick and possibly myself we cook uh I, I try to cook maybe something interesting once a week but nick you go every day almost so what really what motivates you to cook and try different recipes? Have you ever thought about pursuing like a culinary career? Like, is there anything in the back of your mind that you wanted to achieve by, by cooking? Or is it simply just like, you know, I just love cooking? Ooh, definitely not a career in cooking. <laughs> Can, can't, see, can't see that whatsoever. Um, I guess it's just for my own, like for my own enjoyment, really, and I guess the ne- like the necessity of actually eating. Um, in terms of recipes, I'm not really sure. I just I tend to have something in mind along the lines of what I want to cook. So if I want to make you know something with like you know lamb lamb shanks, for example, I would like look up look up recipes around that, uh, or I just see a recipe online on some sites, like if Adam Leo posts like a new video. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Adam Liao. What a legend. Love that guy. Yeah, I'm going to try that. Um, Yeah, it's all like, you know, very spontaneous usually. Um, Like I decide on a day, um, you know, based on what I have in the fridge and I, you know, top it up with some ingredients from the grocery store. Mm. Mm. Do you ever think about even super long term, like perhaps when you have kids and say, oh, I should learn something that, or even when you're cooking something, oh, maybe like when I have kids, I can make this for them you know have you ever had that thought bro i've never thought that long term about my cooking dude it's <laughs> <That's> like <laughs> yeah this might be a, i can put this in my repertoire for later but i've never thought mm-hmm. this would be a good good ki- kids dish because <laughs> i have i've had that thought sometimes like really not maybe if not for kids but for parties for example hmm, i can make macaroons or macarons mm. 
and I could change the recipe slightly for the next uh, Christmas party. I can make like a Christmas theme macaron, or I can make a Halloween theme macaron, or I don't know whatever the event may be. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think about that when I'm like deciding on what what to cook, what to cook. So oh maybe this will help me f- in the future if I needed to pull something out of the pull something out of the hat, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Not saying it will save me in in some like life or death situation, but no, I, I think I think I, I I like that sentiment hits me because like that's sort of the a lot of the focus I do now is sort of like I want to get to a, a stage where um like in the future like thinking in the future it could be family it could just be myself it could be whatever um but just being able to just like you know whips on the something up um without needing to go oh look I need to go find a recipe or what do we like. I really admire that about my mom. I have no idea how the fuck she does it, but like I can almost say every two days we have something different and I have no idea how the hell she thinks of it. And like what I think Chinese food is a whole heap harder than Western food because Western food you just go, look, I might just have a single dish and you cook, you know, a few plates of it, servings of it mm-hmm. versus um, like Chinese where you're like, oh, you need like, you know, three dishes plus maybe some greens Plus, like you know, your rice or whatever. Like, yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, th- I think that for me definitely is one. Is like in the future, just to be able to to have that ability to just be like, hey, look, I, I'm just going to whip something up. Um, hmm. But I think on that question, Richard, when you asked yeah. about uh, like a career in culinary arts, uh, I've asked my mom about like 47 times per day to say <laughs> yeah. like, why have you not done this? Like, I was like. For one, even if it's nothing like people sell shit on Instagram now, and like I think true, yearn for the what you got like the house cooking flavor rather yeah, than just the home, uh, cooking, home cooking, yeah, the home cooking, yeah, the home cooking flavor rather than just like the thing. But I think she raises a very valid point like being able to cook well and being able to manage flavor well doesn't directly like translate into being able to like professionally cook for other people because. One, you've got expectation, and two, you've got to have like time management. Like oh, in a yeah. restaurant, like, very important. Yeah, mass producing dishes is actually mm. so hard. It's very hard. Yeah, yeah. Remember our idea of the dragon? Uh, oh, <laughs> the, oh, that was that was hilarious. What, what was it called? What's I said, "Fuck, I forgot." Uh, what it was it was it. like a sushi train. Oh yeah, imagine a sushi train, but for dim sum, and we called it. Dragon something. I oh, think man, I forgot what, it, what exactly it was called. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to remember yeah. what we called the idea again. Something dragon. Oh. Wait, so the idea is a sushi train, but for dim sum. Is that what you're saying? So Richard and I were sitting around for quite a while. Um, and we were just sort of sitting there. And then, um, like, we really enjoy going to this place near his place where you can buy dim sum in the bulk. Like, yeah, I forgot yep. what that place is in Carlingford. And, like, we really like dim sum, but we also know when you go yum cha, it's like, what, seven eighty a plate and you get, like, three items. It's pretty expensive. That place makes it a bit cheaper. But then we were thinking, why is it that, like, sushi train works so well? Low cost, high earnings. Like, you sell a lot of sushi, but you don't have to hire a lot of people to manage that place. And we're like, do you reckon we could do the same with, like, Chinese food, i.e. dim sum? 
So like you steam up, it's just basically steamed goods. So you've got like your tarsil bao or your like, you know, your uh, silmai or your hagao and you put it on the frigging rail and it just keeps going. And people like sit in just like sushi train. I forgot what we uh, called it. There's a few things. It's like, uh, it's sort of like if you go to that, why wouldn't you just go to Yum Cha, you know? It's like a similar, almost a similar. It's because sort of I think... I think yum cha, like you, two two reasons, right? One, yum cha is not quick. Like as in the the whole premise of yum cha is to drink tea. It's to sit there, order this food, and then have a conversation with someone. Like would you ever go to a Chinese restaurant by yourself and order dim sim and have yum cha by yourself? No, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't. I, that's true. Does that sort of make sense? Like I'm thinking more like corporate work, like sometimes you might, like sushi train, you just want to drop in, you know, you really like yearning for this food. But yeah, it was just a little fleeting idea. Mm. Another problem is that sushi train is cold food. So you don't have to worry about something. Yeah. About oh, we, we had a plan for that cold <laughs> food. <laughs> Did Morgan tell you the plan? Some patent, patent technology or something. Oh, no. <laughs> like the food passes through like a hot spot in the train. So, you know how it goes inside the restaurant area? So, it goes in the area where no one can see, right? And in that area, it's actually like an oven. Not an oven, but like a... Like a steam oven. Steam steam oven. oven. Yeah, yeah, steam oven. And as soon as it comes out the other side, it's piping hot. Problem solved. What's your next problem? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Those are the only things I had. Uh, All right. We'll We'll start a restaurant. Lifestyle Regulars restaurant. So with cooking, right, there is the, you can always follow recipes online, but if you watch all those MasterChef and all the cooking, I I guess, especially MasterChef, you have to be able to, I guess, create your own dishes, I think, if you want to be a successful chef. So from the people I've spoken to, it seems it's like, it's quite rare for a lot of them to repeat their dishes so that they can um, so that they can add their own, I guess, little flavor or little element to it. Is there something that you guys or maybe even your mom, Morgan, has done, mm. like created your own dish? I, I, I'd like to say that is what separates a mere cook with a chef. Like for me... Recreating some someone else's dish—that's you know being a cook—and I think all of us can be. Mm. But when you graduate into a chef level, that's yeah. when you create your own things. And I gotta say, my mom has been experimenting a lot lately, and I sort of do appreciate it. Like she, I think she has a lot of like base stuff that she makes. Like for example, you know, you can make she can make like pineapple buns um, and all that stuff. But then she like decides to try something new. Like the other day. She made a, um, I think she was making cheesecake, but she was like, hmm, what happens if I just like try to put some like black sesame in it? And she like made like black sesame cheesecake, which tasted almost like just black black sesame ice cream. Oh, it was wow. amazing. Damn. <laughs> um, Why didn't you bring like, some over, bro? <laughs> no, it's, it's like, this is what she does. She likes to do these things where she like does this trial and error for like a month or two. Yeah. And like the only people who eat it are us. Yeah. And then like once it like graduates to the threshold of, it's like, 
giveable to other people, that's right. when it goes mass market. Yeah. Mm. So a little sneak peek, Richard, into what's coming to your house right, nice, nice, next nice. month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to it. Wow. <laughs> Black sesame cheesecake. Yeah. Yummy. Fuck. Yummy. Hit you up, bro. Um, but yeah, like stuff like that. And then I think the other time she also made uh, a new uh, thing where she, I like to call it an inverse radish cake. So what? she put the radish cake ingredients, right? But instead of, you know, making a radish cake out of it, yeah. right? She used those ingredients and she made a filling to put into this like little square pastry. And it tastes a bit like the yum cha um, dim sim, the, um, what's it called? The ham uh, so got. Yeah, the ham so got yeah, but with yeah, but like with with radish and like a crispy like um, what's that called again? Nick? Pastry thing. Uh, what's that radish cake Wugot? called again? Oh, radish cake is lobako. 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 So it's a lobako ham so got. In, yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh my god! For those yeah. non-Cantonese speakers, it's like two staples that you see at um, yum cha. Yum cha. Yeah. But Morgan's mum has yeah. combined the two together. Amazing. Yeah. I think she also likes to do this thing where um, she tries to make food healthier. Like oh. we'll go eat something and it could be like this amazing fried chicken or whatever. Like it was something really amazing. And she'd be like, so how the hell do I maintain the taste but skimp out on the oil or skimp out on the butter and stuff like that? I think the answer to that question is three letters. MSG. Nah, so she's, I'd say she's, <laughs> she succeeded to a certain extent, but I'd say it's definitely like not as, you can definitely tell it's not as oily or not as whatever, but I think she makes up for it by utilizing other ingredients or just like cooking methods. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're right. Like as soon as you start to redevelop your dishes and to experiment, that's when you graduate to something else. That's like leveling up in the cooking world. <laughs> in the cooking game. Yeah. yeah. It's like that, the quest. It's like the last quest before you can wear rune um, rune plate mail. <laughs> What's that quest? Dragon Slayer. Instead of Dragon Slayer, you got to make your own recipe. I think that's the, that's the equivalent. And I think a lot of the friends I was speaking to as well, <clears throat> they found a similar thing. Like if they hadn't remade the dish a couple of times, they would be not as confident, of course, to share with friends. But the ones who have, for example, I have a friend who was making a lot of sourdough. She kept trying and trying to make her perfect sourdough. Um, that's, I think that's when you start to truly understand. You master. Yeah. You master the technique. And it's not just cooking anymore. It's like something else. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I feel like you need to establish a fairly good foundation before you do the like I think like people sh- like wouldn't be able to sort of rush into that stage of like experimenting because what you end up getting is probably like half ass shit that just you know doesn't really work that well like but if you're someone who has a really good foundation in cooking and I mean like not just you know your normal cooking it could be baking it could be whatever right but you have a good breadth of understanding in all different realms of cooking that's when you can sort of start experimenting and trying mm. new things okay let's move on to uh some other topics so we because we're mainly from an asian background how adventurous are you guys with other cuisines of course 
we like our Chinese food. I'm, I'm guessing you guys like your Chinese food. Mm-hmm. But in Australia, we're so multicultural. We get to try out so many different cuisines. It's almost endless what we can have. So uh, some people even travel for food. I know Michael does that as well. But yeah, what about you guys? What's, how adventurous are you guys with other cuisines? And have you ever been so out of place somewhere that you would just resort back to the classic Macca's or KFC? I'm not really sure how I would define my level. Um, like, I, I guess I have, like, the staple cuisines that I go to when I can't think of anything, like, you know, like Japanese, Chinese, like, Malaysian, Thai, or, the, like, the Southeast Asian sort of flavors. But then I guess recently I've been expanding into more, like, Middle Eastern as well. Um, that or like Indian food, Nepalese food, the stuff that I wouldn't really have tried unless I was here with Mandy, um, because oh, I just didn't see the, I, I didn't have the motivation to actually do it. Um, but because I was living in the CBD last year and everything was just like around, it was just there in my face. It's hard to just like not at least try it, you know. So yeah. And have you gone places where? Oh no, I guess Nick, you've been to Japan. Um, where Japanese food is just incredible, <laughs> mm-hmm. where there's almost like you can't go wrong with any sort of Japanese food. Um, maybe that's maybe it's more a question for us, Morgan. Remember that one time we were in Kenya, <laughs> in Kenya, Nairobi. Oh, going to that dodgy restaurant with no. We asked the fun. guides, right? We asked the guides, and they were like. Where, where's your favorite place to go? I remember this. You, you said it. I think it was, uh, this. where's your favorite place to go? <laughs> and yeah, he drove us a van and it just like, we. I, I, I remember he drove for a while and then all of a sudden decides to reverse down this like alleyway. And I was like, what is he doing? And I remember reverse on the alleyway. Then we got off and it's like the little hut. Was I think it was like a little small hut and there was like a few locals and I don't think any tourists were there at all. Yeah. Um. And I remember this was our, it was supposed to be our pre-lunch, right? Like it wasn't even lunch because we we're going to have lunch and we already had breakfast. Yeah. We were going to have lunch and it was like the in-between pre-lunch. Oh, wait, this is, uh, you're talking about, this is in Tanzania. Tanzania. Was that in Tanzania? Was that in Tanzania or was that in Kenya? No, no, Kenya was oh, Joseph's family. Kenya, yes. This is Joseph's family. That's the yeah, one. That one. Yes. So this one in Kenya, this was big, pretty crazy because this was for dinner and it was pouring rain. And we really wanted to try like the local, local food. Like you don't want even any sort of fast food equivalent, right? So Joseph finds a restaurant which had pretty good ratings on TripAdvisor, I think. Yeah, it was the nearest one with like like six stars or whatever it was here. But the thing is, even though it's close by in Kenya, you cannot walk there. I think it was probably 200 meters away if we walked. But you mm. just you just can't in Kenya. No, I think it was it was two reasons, right? It was one was uh, like rain, but two was also because we're not local. Um, they thought it would be dangerous for us to walk there. I think it probably would be because as yeah. soon as we showed up, like getting the taxis there was also a nightmare in itself. But as soon as we showed up, we couldn't really find it because outside what it was supposed to be were two massive bodyguards. They had like Kevlar on and they're holding massive shotguns. So we weren't sure if they were to protect uh, the restaurant or to like keep whoever's in. Maybe there was some, I don't know, uh, Kenyan 
mafia boss inside. It's like <laughs> protecting what's inside. So anyway, we, sh- we show up. We just walked straight up the stairs and there was this guy up there who was speaking pretty good English and it was just showing us around. Um, this, I guess it was like a dark, but my the best way of describing it is like a dark sports bar. That yeah, it was supposed no to be locals. like a club sports bar or something, yeah. Yeah, no locals. Oh, sorry, no foreigners. And we got to sample some of the food, which was pretty interesting. Like the chef would give us like a little bit just to try. And then you show up at the very front desk again where you order all your stuff and they bring it to you later on. So it was pretty accommodating, but that whole experience was so, I don't know, how would you different. describe it? It was very different. Um, I'd say it gave me, it actually gave me a lot of like food court vibes, right? Like it was quite standard of food court, but the yeah, whole yeah. experiences of the food, like the people, um, and I guess the I felt like we were treated in almost a little bit of a, a bit more like special manner by like the 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 guy, like as in yeah. it was because so, we, we were the only non-locals there. Everyone else yeah. looked like they'd just come off a nine-to-five job, which is like you know, oh, coming yeah. here for like a for like a meal, like a dinner after getting off work. Yeah. It was a very interesting experience. Do you remember what we had? I do. I remember we had two rices. There was the white and the and the red one, and I fucking hated the red one. I don't know why. But it wasn't rice. Was it was a. It was like a. What's it called? It was a corn. It's a um, cor- mashed corn thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was made from corn, and it was supposed to be the same flavor. That's what I remember. Someone told me they're like supposed to be made from similar stuff, but I don't know why. I always preferred the white one a bit more than the red one. I didn't enjoy either, so <laughs> it was like tasteless. It was almost tasteless, but not really. We, we know who enjoyed it all, though. Leo, Leo. that enjoyed Leo it. really loved the food. Um, we got a fried fish. I yeah, we had fried, fried fish. We had lamb. I remember we had we had lamb. Like some lamb, which was I think the only thing I ate because I don't really like seafood. We I think we had like two fish dishes, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had lamb. We had beef. Um, yeah. we had these two mashed things. There was definitely no vegetables to be seen. Yeah, I don't think we've got any veggies. I've got a photo on my phone, actually. Let me just double check. We'll find out. But yeah, that was a very interesting experience where right next door was KFC and we could have at any point like, nah, this is a bit too hard. We'll just go to KFC. But we stuck through it and it's an experience that we've lived to tell the tale of. Mm. Were you ever worried that the food, because it was like, I guess, so local, would give you some sort of like stomach upset? I, because this was almost halfway through our trip. Yeah. I thought that it wouldn't be here because it was in, still in the main city. I thought that'd be maybe in our, um, what do you call it, when we were on our safari. Mm. This is one day before our safari. So we were still right. in the main city of uh, Nairobi. So I thought we'd get sick on safari where there was not, no clean water and whatever. Uh, I was okay. Did you have that fear? Not like not 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 really to that extent. I mean, like because I've I've eaten like in similar settings, like you know, in China and stuff like that. So it didn't really like scare me that much. But I think the food was definitely a, a little bit out there. Like I guess that was the one question I've always had when I was traveling in in Africa was what is their staple like. If I had to say, like, you know, in China or whatever, it's rice. But if I had to say, like, in Africa, what is the staple? And I think that really 
like taught me a whole bunch. Oh, I remember the word for it. It's called maze. That's cool. yeah, yeah. So they, they, but they had a word for it. Like they actually had a like a. I think it, it, it wasn't an Afrikaans word. It might have been something for it. I forgot. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. the word. That was two fish and a beef and a lamb, bro. Oh, okay, nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what about the price of food? What was the what was the most expensive meal you've ever had? And or the would you say that as well? Okay, cheapest is free, right? <laughs> fair, but fair. most expensive is where's interesting. What was the most expensive meal? And afterward, did you did you find it worth it? Well, it's I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how to answer. So the most expensive like restaurant I've eaten in is probably Vue de Mon. What's that? Um, it's like in, um, um, it's a restaurant in Melbourne by like something Bennett or something. I can't remember like some, like some chef. Anyways, it was, I think regularly if you go there, it's like a 350 or $400 meal per person, per person. It's one of those places that, you know, you go in and you don't pick anything. They just serve you like the the course. Oh, I'm guessing French cuisine. Kind of. Yeah. Sort of along those lines, but Mm. The thing is, I didn't go for that because it was like an event for like Mandy's like med graduation thing. So oh, we really? Paid like a, it was like a heavily subsidized meal, but it was still like maybe like a hundred bucks. Mm. So by price, that wasn't the most expensive, but it was the most expensive place I've eaten that. Right. Mm. And it was not worth it <laughs> to me. Mm. Um, it was, you know, I feel like in general, fine dining for me is like, like probably not worth it. Um mm. Like if you got to that sort of level, um, yeah, because it's all it's, it's mostly the experience. But I don't really feel like I enjoy the experience as much. Mm. Even though you paid hundred dollars, would you still pay hundred dollars for that type of food? Uh, probably not. Like after that, I guess I probably will go and actually have the degustation or like something similar to that at another place at some point. Mm. Um, but that might be because Manny wants to go and we'll go together. <laughs> it wouldn't be like you know of my own. Mm. Mm. what about you morgan yeah so i think i think other than that place i went with you richard like uh the ball and but i think you can cover that um yeah i'm generally not the type that like really goes to a lot of fancy places because i just feel like uh i'm a little bit out of place there i'm a big fan of good food uh not necessarily like look good food um ugly delicious yeah, ugly, delicious. That's the that's the perfect. Yeah, a box of fucking KFC nut <laughs> Um <laughs> But I think one place that does come out to me um, was when um, I went to Italy. Uh, I think it was like a few years back now. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And we're in Florence, uh, and we're trying this place. And I don't know why, but it is. I think it's recommended by a lot of things. Um, I think it was called Om Om. It might have been Om 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 or something. It was some weird name like that. And basically, means nothing to if, me, but yeah. But if you've ever been to Florence, right? They're famous for like two things. One is the architecture and like the history and, and all the museums and shit. The other thing is Florentine beef, oh. uh, like steaks. Oh, I sorry, and leather. I forgot, but like beef. That's the main focus of this topic. Um, and so we decided to go in there, and I think me and a couple of friends we went there, and I got to say, I thoroughly enjoyed. Italy for the most part of it because of pasta. I love eating pasta and they do pasta real well. Of um, course. Of course, because it's it's Italian. <laughs> but here we we're like, hey, look, we're in Florence. 
why don't we try a steak? So we went to this Ormond place, and I think the steak there was, if I remember correctly, it was like almost 100 euros for like a 500-gram steak. So it was pretty expensive, plus the wine, all that stuff. Um, and I remember we're like, look, we are, we're only here once. Let's fucking ball out. So our other friend got a uh, a pasta, but then the two of us guys were like, let's get the steak. But then we're like, hmm, it's a bit expensive. So it's like, can we split the steak? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was a request that has never been made to the waitresses there at the restaurant because they just gave us like the weirdest look, right? And then they're I like, just order yeah, one and the other guy doesn't order anything. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. And that's sort of what we're asking, but we're like, okay. could you give us like another plate? Oh, okay. Right? But then they were, I think they were going above and beyond. was like, oh, do you want us to just, you know, split it up? Cut it in half. Wow. Yeah, cut it in half. <laughs> Give it to us. Because they were like, oh, look, we serve the meat in like standard. They prepare the meat in standardized portions. Yeah. So they can't like, you know, uh, cook it like separately. They have to cook the single steak and then, you know, yeah. cut it away. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like so, that's yeah. normal, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's normal, but they, they just gave us like weird looks. I'm pretty sure okay. no one's ever asked them to do that. Sure. Um. Anyway, so I think we went there and it was already pretty expensive because the pasta was already like 30 euros when normally everywhere else was like, you know, 11, 12, 16. Yep. So we got the steak. It it looked quite nice. So I think one thing that they do very well is they do a lot of pepper-crusted steaks in, in Italy. Like they don't just normally just fry it, but they do pepper-crusted to give it the more of like the crunchy sort of outer texture as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looked really good. We cut it open, real red, like... Because um, we we had Wait, like, did you get rare. medium rare, medium rare always? Oh, yeah. okay, nice. You didn't kill it. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't kill it. <laughs> yeah. So we also medium rare. They definitely cooked it medium rare, which is like amazing. And I guess for a hundred euros, surely expected. You have to expect that. <laughs> yeah, but I gotta say, the taste of it was like I, maybe because we're in Australia, and Australian beef is pretty nice. Like it wasn't that special. Yeah, like it was slightly a bit fattier, I guess, than the, than the Angus beef and stuff that we have back here. Yeah, but yeah. I wouldn't say, I would definitely say it's not worth 100 euros. Mm. Like, yeah. Um, and subsequently, I don't think I ever had another slice of steak in Florence because I just felt like it was overpriced. Fair enough. For, yeah. I think that is a general trend. Like most people I've spoken to have not found fine dining, any sort of fine dining worth it. It's almost like just a flex, right? That's I wonder if it's also the service, right? It's also supposed to be. Oh, yeah, service. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But like the guys definitely gave us weird looks because in Italy, if you've ever been, they do free breadsticks uh, <laughs> while you wait for your meal. I think I finished three baskets. It still doesn't make up for the $100 steak. $100 <laughs> it doesn't. Steak. Make, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. You definitely. Do like another 50 baskets. But but it yeah. was some good breadsticks. Nice, mm. nice. Um, Morgan touched on this before, but we did a thing in our group where it's, I think I think I was the one who started it. You were the one who started it, hundred percent. Yeah. So when someone got a new job, we go for something called a ball out, right? So what that means is you ball out for all the boys, and you pay for a massive meal. That you probably wouldn't ever get to try yourself, like a like a fine dining experience. So here I am, like once I got my first job in 2016, I'm like, boys, we're going for a French banquet. So this was number one of my ball out because um, <clears throat> I wanted to like because because Nick's Nick's 
part of both groups. Like there's the cooking <laughs> cooking group, I guess, that oh. we spoke about before. And then the other group, which is like my main high school t- uh, team. We went to this place called, maybe many of our viewers probably have heard of this place, which is called Restaurant Hubert, which at the time was ranked like, what was it, seventh it was, or something? No, no, it was like top three, I remember. It was top, top three, three. okay. <laughs> the boys fact-checked me before. I was like, oh, where's this place? Top three in Sydney. And we were super excited, like, because I was going to pay for the whole thing. We're going to have some fine, uh, some some French bank we've never had before. And when they brought out the wine list, I remember this is hilarious. When they brought out the wine list, like the guy was going through the wines, and um, I think we gave off the impression that it was uh, we weren't that made of money, right? So ultimately, <laughs> we're like. Uh, what, what wine is good? Because none of us at the time knew much about wine. And he said a few things. I don't remember what he said. But then there was one that was like, I guess, mid-ranged in terms of wine. It wasn't super expensive, like $1,000. But it was probably a lot more than what you expect to spend. I think it ultimately was like a $200 bottle of wine. Cool. Mm. Three, maybe 300 And then I just like, I didn't care at the point because I was celebrating. I was like, Get me that. So we had we shared a three hundred dollar bottle of wine. We had a French banquet, and this was our first ever ball out session <clears throat> at Restaurant Hubert. Hubert. Um, I would say that was a good experience because it was the because it was a ball out with friends. But I don't think the food was worth it. To be honest, it was interesting. Like we never had it before, hmm. but I probably wouldn't spend that money again. <laughs> um, it's similar for what I did with my parents as well. We went to, have you guys heard of Aria restaurant right outside the mm-hmm. opera house? Yep. Like as Asian parents, you would know that they're happy with like a $10 cafe to Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Uh, fried noodle, right? And this time I was spending like $100 per person. Uh, for my birthday there I guess it was for the for the view because you're right on the edge of uh, the opera house and you're facing the harbour bridge as well mm. but the whole time I could just feel them like just saying that nah, nah. yeah yeah not worth it <laughs> <laughs> I feel you man I feel you man <laughs> oh man yep. it was interesting it was uh, again it was all about the experience the service and um I probably wouldn't go back. It's always for like it's probably more for like a special occasion that you do something like that. Yeah. Uh, which is why I think home style cooking, like you said, Morgan, is what people really like nowadays. It's just like that homely feeling rather than the fine dining experience. Which is interesting. Like why do we pay so much for food, right? I've always thought it's about the service, right? Like that's what makes a difference between like, you know, How a much? Chinese restaurant that slaps the dish onto your table, <laughs> right? But can service be worth like double the price? I don't think so. That's just... I guess the other thing would be like much. innovation, right? Like food mixtures or flavor combinations that typically you wouldn't get at other places, right? That would be one other reason why. Are you paying just... Like is the price like an expectation for, you know, if they charge less than what they're actually charging, then you probably won't see it as something like an experience, right? That valuable? Mm. Yeah. Another restaurant idea, bro. Just (laughs) innovative recipes, (laughs) but like only charge cost of material. It's like that thing how, you know how that thing, when a red wine is more expensive, 
people think it tastes better. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, along those yeah, lines. Yeah. And yeah, so full bodied. The service <laughs> thing I can relate to because um, there was this one time. So it was for um, for an, an anniversary. So we went to like this sort of high end ish Japanese place, mm. and we got the set menu, but they forgot to give us one of the courses. Oh. Or how they, the hell oh, does that happen? Unacceptable. Oh, sorry. oh sorry, sorry, that wasn't that. Sorry, got mixed up. They gave us the wrong dish in the course. Oh, right. Another dish that was really good as well, but we didn't really notice until we eat. We start eating. We're like, hmm, did we like? Isn't, was this included? So we asked them, and then they're like, oh crap, sorry. Like, so they were so apologetic. I was, I felt bad. Like, okay, look, it's obviously <laughs> like, you just gave us the wrong thing. It's all right. It's fine. You know, that was just as good. But then they pretty much like gave us another like dish on top of that, just because they made that small mistake. Even though we didn't even want to ask for it, they just brought it out. They're like, "Here you go. Here's our like, uh, here's our signature like truffle mushroom dish or whatever." Wow, truffle like, mushroom. Um, Sounds like I, a three-digit dish. <laughs> it was. I don't know. Maybe it was like a fifty-dollar dish. I think. I'm like, bro, they make more mistakes. We were happy. Like, we we're like, Jesus, okay. Um, that's only happened at, like once ever. But I guess that's the sort of service that you probably oh, I see. kind of expect those mm. Maybe we have yeah. to be more critical, Morgan. Like, when we go to a restaurant, like, nah, yeah. unacceptable. Nah. This is a piece of shit. <laughs> I deserve better. I paid $1,000 for this. You bring me your best. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> your breast dish you know I think you got to change our mentality yeah I think so like remember that glacier was it glacier 59 was that what we oh, had oh yeah what was oh, yeah you should be like not not tarsil enough <laughs> oh. Uh, oh I remember that that was a highlight highlight of yeah the that was very interesting it actually tastes like yeah. tarsil but I feel like that's the sort of stuff you pay for, right, at like mm. restaurants. And that's why I think typically a lot of the high-end restaurants are either like stuff like they're mostly fusion cuisine restaurants. Like um, like French, you might be, it might be really good, but then it might be French with like some, you know, a hint of some other sort of European cuisine or the typical like – I don't think there's any Chinese restaurants, by the way, that are fine dining. Um, but – like Mr. Wong. It could be just expensive Chinese restaurants, but not really fine yeah. dining. Yeah, but not fine dining exactly. Whereas like Mr. Wong, for example, uh, is like Chinese, but, you know, fusion with all other sort of cuisines. I guess, yeah, Mr. Wong is probably the closest. Mm. I don't know any other Chinese fine dining places. Mm. So we've talked about how amazing food is. So I think we should also explore the dark side of food. There are so many exotic foods and delicacies that uh, that most people see as inhumane or almost outright unacceptable. On topic, I guess, is the source of coronavirus, which is bats. But there's also things like monkey brains, whale, shark fin, dog, cat, horse, like bull penis. I think that's pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these all these are what people see as just things you don't, you shouldn't be eating. So what extents are there to these types of foods? And are there are these limitations justified? Like what's the most extreme food that you guys have had where it's almost on that edge of you I sh- probably shouldn't be having this? Because I guess, have you guys had shark fin soup? Yep, for sure. 
Have you guys had that swallow's nest? I think dessert. Yes, swallow's What's nest. That? Yeah, it's not a dessert. It's a swallow's nest. Yeah, swallow's nest. Uh, I don't know. What... In war. In war. Oh, I've yeah. Yeah, I've had it. It's it's not a dessert. They, <laughs> it's not a dessert. It's it's, oh, it's like a it's a it's a cooking ingredient that I think goes into a lot of like soups, like Chinese soups and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Oh, I had mine as a dessert. Maybe that's why oh. I remember. Oh, some some unique fine dining shit there, bro. <laughs> no, nah, man. It was like uh, random. It was part of a random Chinese tour I had one time, and they take you to like a place where they had a whole bunch of swallow spit nest. Hmm. What What do you guys think when you're eating this? Did you ever consider the the inhumane aspect? I think because I've I've got a few like friends who are very like I think we're coming to that age where it's sort of like you've got enough money and stuff to be socially responsible and like topics like this come up quite a lot. I think for me, it's more around, is it a sustainable way? Uh, is it a sustainable piece of food? Like for example, swallow's nest and stuff like that. That's something that, you know, it's rare to find, but it's not like oh, if I decide to consume it, it would ruin your, like it would ruin the ecosystem or anything like that. But for example, like shark fin, Literally, people do it where they just cut the fin off a shark. And you don't consume the rest of the shark, you just consume the fin. The shark is left to die. Without its fin, it can't swim. I think stuff like that is probably where, um, yeah, I, w- I would sort of draw the line about sustainability. So, what about if you farmed dog? Really, really interesting. Yeah, very interesting topic. Uh, I would say, I would say, I, I, this is this is real real controversial, but I'd say if they did that and it's sustainable, then perhaps not that like. I think we definitely put st- dogs on a different sort of stigma in terms of an animal, mm, just because right. of their loyalty and their friendship. Um, like I when personally, it, when it becomes a pet, right? As soon as something yeah. becomes a pet, yep. it's almost as if you, no, I can never eat this sort of thing. Yeah. I remember because I I remember keeping a chicken for a pet for a while, and oh, really? when it was dying, um, actually no, sorry, it wasn't when it was dying. Our neighbors complained about it, cuckooing, like not cuckooing. What's the word for it? Like, um, <laughs> screaming in the morning, and came and knocked on our door <laughs> and swore at us and said, "You got to keep your like chicken in 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 check." And basically, we were forced to sort of put it down, but like it was very difficult, um, to do it. If that makes sense, and yeah, we go and buy chicken all the time from mm. supermarkets, and we eat it. Yeah, so I think it's definitely that stigma. I think for at least in in the Western society, they we have that stigma. But I guess in I guess in you know China or wherever else they eat dogs, you know, it's just fine. It's just the way the environment we grew up in, I, I suppose. Yeah. Um, what Do you also agree with? What Morgan was saying, like how if it's sustainable, then it should be okay. Like, of course, something as something like a predator, like a shark, seems like we probably shouldn't be eating these sorts of animals as a as a delicacy. But the whole discussion on bats, where they're not really predators, or even um, yeah, dogs, horses, you know, if it's part of the culture to eat these animals, should it be accepted? Is that wrong? Yeah, yeah. I feel like if it's part of the culture, it's probably uh, it's probably okay. I mean, no one did, did anyone care that people were eating bats until coronavirus started. I don't think so. Until it actually started, people like because until it became something people could blame for what's happening. 
no one had a problem with it, right? Like you know, you 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 know, people eating bats across the world, whatever, they can do their mm. own thing. But you know, yeah. now that the impacts of that are felt across the world, then that's when you're like, oh hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Um, so Good point. Mm. maybe if like, it was more widely accepted, it will be more well regulated, and then there won't be these health risks involved mm. with these exotic animals. Yeah. I think that's why I was saying like the whole self-sustainability, the whole like there's a not even a market but a farm for it. I think it makes a it makes a whole lot of difference um, because you they then fit into certain like regulations which the I guess most of the Western world sort of adhere to like the FDA and stuff like that, where mm-hmm. you have to make sure you hit certain quality standards before it becomes a consumable part of the food chain. Even with like farming, there are some things that like have you guys tried frog raw? Say again? Fra, like frog gras. It's like the mm-hmm. really fatty like duck liver. Like they um it's almost like a pate, but it's like it's like a delicacy, right? Um mm. and it's it just tastes like uh, I don't know, what was it, like duck flavored butter or something? I guess that's what people sort of say. Mm. Wow. But Never had it's it. essentially but the way they raise is that um the duck is just kept standing the whole time and or they essentially force feed the duck. And then eventually they're so fat they can't even like move anymore. So just on the ground, and that's how they get the big fatty liver. And then they harvest mm-hmm. the liver, and that's delicacy. And I've had it before, and it's sort of like I felt kind of bad. I don't know. It just it didn't seem like it was worth it. But then people argue about the, the argue whether that's humane or not. But it's mm-hmm. yeah, it just feels like you know that feels like animal abuse even though some people might not see it though mm. yeah so yeah it's like the whole discussion yeah. about battery hands and stuff like that mm. 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 i think from my perspective i have even though i have owned a dog i was too curious about what dog tasted like so in my dad's village when they said that oh we're having dog today i'm like mm. Oh, really? Where'd you get a dog Hit from? <laughs> but my first question was like, where'd you get a dog from? Because I saw a few dogs wandering around in the village. I was like, am I eating one Just pick one up. <laughs> uh, how they got it from the butcher? So, I don't know. It's probably more common out there in the village, villages of mm. China than, than yep. in the cities. Um, but yeah, at, at the same time as when I was uh, eating it, I'm like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have this uh, all the time. Like I, I probably won't have this ever again, almost because you know, it's nothing special. Um, mm. The other thing I've eaten that's kind of controversial is whale. When I was in Japan, mm. this was in 2016. Uh, there was an opportunity to try some whale, and at the time, I was just interested. Like me and Kelvin, we were like, "Hey, we can't just pass up this opportunity. We just want to see what all the fuss is about." So we had whale tongue. Whale sashimi mm. and whale steak, I think. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the best, I would say, was the whale tongue. Mm. But mm. all three are kind of just meh. Like it was kind of kind of expensive. It tasted like beef almost, but with like mm. a fishy texture a bit. It's almost mm. like beef-flavored fish. And that's how I describe it. Okay. So, at the time, I was like, okay, I was just so I was just too curious because what, what what's all the fuss about with like Japanese mm. people having whale? So I wanted to try it out. 
And yeah, it's just something that you do once and then probably won't ever do again. Have you guys ever eaten spider? I've had spider. Tarantula. Yeah, I, I have arachnophobia. And I went for it. And it was... <laughs> I would definitely never do it again. But it was one of my um, one of my tasks to overcome arachnophobia. So I used to just like I had on my phone a wallpaper of a spider for a very long time, <laughs> just oh. so I would get over it. Like basically, and I would randomly search up like bad spiders just to spike me up. But the, this was like the last story. It was let me eat one of these bad boys. Yeah, it was. <laughs> wow. It definitely was not good. Mm. No, I think yeah. it's pretty good. Was it fried? Yeah, it was fried. It was just crunchy. That was all it was like. Okay. A yeah. lot of protein, like, a lot of crunch. Yeah, what I've told people is I always preface them in, with saying, do you like soft shell crab? Because mm. it tastes exactly like soft shell crab to me. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a bit of a spidery aftertaste that you don't taste too much, but it's kind of like just... The bittery, yeah, the bittery spidery aftertaste. Yeah, but not much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah rubber. But oh, okay. yeah, so I overcame the spider. Oh, okay, so if you ever have a fear and you want to overcome it, just eat it. Just fucking eat it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next segment is called Round of Campfire. And the theme for today is the greatest food adventure. So Morgan's going to share with us our banana bee story from our adventure in Tanzania. Yeah, I was there, but I'll let Morgan tell the story. To be honest, you were probably more awake for the journey there than I was. Um, but no, don't you remember? I fell asleep like in the in the in the van. Yeah, oh. and then you you guys woke me up. <laughs> nah, but I think I think that was a really cool one because I, I remember for the whole trip. I think it was even when we were in South Africa when we started. Was it you who was like, "Oh, we need to go get that banana beer"? Was it Michael? No, nah, it was either one of you. I think it was Michael. It was, I think it was. Leo. Was it Leo? Oh, it might have been. But yeah, one of us. He was the most keen. He was the most keen. Yeah. One of us was like, there is this really cool thing in Tanzania called banana beer. Um, and I was very curious because I've had stuff like pineapple beer and it's always come back with a surprise. Really good. So like, yeah, let's go try to find it. But for some odd reason, it was really ridiculous to find it. And I remember we were asking our guides, even the first day we got there, was like, look, can we go get some banana beer? And they're like, uh, I don't think they sell it like in normal pubs and stuff. Like it's going to be relatively difficult. So I remember it was, we were looking high and low for it. Um, we couldn't find it. Then we went on our hike um, up Kilimanjaro, came back down. And I remember it was like on the, I think it was at the last day we were there in Tanzania. Like literally the last day we were like, look, we got to find this banana beer. And so I think we, the guides took us, I remember in a van, that day was our like free day um, in Tanzania. And they drove us, I think it was like almost like an hour and a half, like well, really far. Our, that day was, that day was, the, the itinerary was go to the markets in the in the city center. Yep. This is in Arusha in, in Tanzania. Mm. Um, go shopping, get some food. And then there's this natural hot spring. Yes, yes, the hot spring. In the middle of the yeah. desert. Anyway, go on. Yeah, so I think it was it was on the way was it on the way back. I think it was on the way back from the um the hot spring or on the way there. It, I think was. it was on the way. It was back. It was on yeah. the way back. Yeah, yeah. We decided to take. I think it was like a detour, 
And I, I fell asleep for most part of it, but I do remember we were in the city one moment. The next I woke up, it was like this small town. And I just remember there was a lot of those like MP so like, you know, telephone uh, ad things, the green ones. Remember those ones? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. And it was just like a, a relatively small town. And I remember the, the van just stopped outside this like little tavern place. Like it was like an open door thing. And then they're like, oh, here's the place, the banana beer. And we're like, hmm, what is this? So I think it was the four of us. We got off and we went into this little, I'd like to call it a pub. Let's call it a pub, I think. It was basically like this little outdoor seating area. Um, and there was like a little stall over there. And in the stall, you could see there were just these buckets of like frothy liquid. Like you could see the froth on top. Um, but it was just like buckets of this stuff, right? And then the guy's like, oh, this is where banana beer is. And we're like, oh, cool. Let's get one. And I remember because they they pointed at it and there was like these old grandmas sitting in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were having like, they had this banana beer and they were having it like liter fucking jug, like mug, sorry. They were holding buckets was, in themselves. They were holding fucking buckets and they were fucking chugging this shit. What the fuck? <laughs> and we're like, and then they were like, oh, is, is that what you want? <laughs> A bucket of it. Yeah. yeah. So shit. Okay. It's a, it's it's like that two liter bucket type size is what yeah. they were holding. You have to use two hands. You can't hold it with one hand. So we didn't want that much. <laughs> and the thing with banana beer is it's pretty low proof. I think it was like one or two percent. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's so not fully fermented. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to drink a lot of it, I guess, to get drunk. Which is why they go for the two liter option. Anyway, between the four of us, we're like yeah, we're all right. We, we we have like one cup. The schooner. So we bring out one whatever, cup. Yeah. yeah, a schooner. But even with a schooner, it was like massive in itself. It was almost... I think it was, it was like a li- almost a liter. Yeah, almost a liter, yeah. And they just uh, behind they disappear behind the counter, uh, bring up a... Scooped up. Or yeah, scooped up a cup. Scoop, yeah. Scooped up a cup of banana beer and we just sit around in a circle um, trying it out. And I remember at one point... Uh, I was looking at those two grannies, and they like they were ho- they were both holding their buckets of banana beer, and then I just cheers them. I, li- I raised my cup, and they raised their cup, and it was a beautiful. <laughs> they, moment. You mean their bucket? <laughs> yeah, their bucket. Just <laughs> <laughs> like it was incredible. Like we locked eyes, and we just like in the moment full of banana beer. Wow. How would you describe the taste, Morgan? It was like uh, how would I? It was like ground banana juice with a hint of beer like it was very fairly starchy and i think it was also very frothy at the top because i think mm. like the way they they prepared it or fermented it with the yeast or whatever um so it was a lot of froth and then it tasted yeah it was very bananary with like that little hint of like um beer aftertaste yeah yeah but it wasn't like ripe banana flavor it was like oh, the, yeah it was like the Unripe, very yeah. young, yeah, young banana flavor. Okay, but yeah, it has. It's not clear. Uh, it's almost like a soup. It it didn't feel like I was having an like having it's a like beer. A smoo- Would you say it's like yeah, a smoothie? smoothie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost like a banana smoothie. Yeah, yeah. Banana smoothie beer is what yeah. I describe it as. Okay. And yeah. you, you can definitely tell it's not very alcoholic. Like you, you, you don't feel it. I think I still Asian flushed, regardless. <laughs> <laughs> but 
yeah, like while you're asleep, Morgan, the guy, like our two guides, they would have to call up a random people. At one point, like they picked up some random guy off the side of the road who who said he knew where the banana beer was. Mm-hmm. So this was all happening while you were asleep, Morgan. I was, I was awake <laughs> for that. Um, it took us like maybe one or two shots to find the actual shop which did have it because apparently it was not the season for banana beer. If you if you remember, yeah, Morgan, there was a yeah. lot of banana crop just being uh, plant. I don't know. Yeah, if it was planted. planted but well, like, yeah, they just have. I don't think it was just harvested. I think they just re- replanted a whole oh, bunch of like yeah. banana crop. Yeah. So maybe that's why it was hard to find. But you know, it is what it is. We finally got banana beer on our last day in Africa. Our one and only goal. Yeah, it was a food for Tanzania. Yeah, and it was in the most dodgy spot with old grannies with buckets, but it was beautiful. It was, uh, mm. it was amazing. Would recommend. All right, we'll finish off this food episode with a recommendation of the week. Um, I'll start us off with my recommendation and hopefully this happens once lockdown is over next year possibly. And during Ramadan, the suburb of Lakemba has a Ramadan, I guess, festival and the whole street is like the whole street is just filled with food and food trucks and um, food stores. So the five things I would recommend to get is uh, number one would be camel burgers and um, deer burgers, which is kind of interesting. Number two, there's an Egyptian place sometimes that, that pops up there. That's really good. They serve Egyptian food. Uh, number three is the Syrian ice cream. It's like a stretchy ice cream that they pound until it's like kind of, it's almost like cheese like, which is really yummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is, ooh. What's it called? It's like a Lebanese pizza, but it's called Manouche. There's a store that that does really nice Manouche. And number five would be just your classic kebab. There's this guy that was there a few years ago who had this uh, funny outfit. He had it just had like chef a chef hat and a mustache, but it was just really cool. And he's selling the best kebabs. I still remember that kebab to this day. So yeah, those are the five things I recommend from the. Lakemba Ramadan Festival. Morgan, do you have a recommendation? I've actually, I actually haven't been to many food festivals, but like for me, more just your everyday um, cheap eats. I, I'm, I guess recently I've been more, definitely more of a, uh, becoming more of a fan of Chinese cuisine. Um, and one of the places that I do go regularly, just because it's so close to work, um, Chinatown Noodle King. Um, if you guys were ever there, the fragrant chili eggplants. Oh, amazing Sichuan food. I don't think it's actually a Sichuan restaurant, but. Mm. It's like eating eggplant chips with chili sauce. Yeah, sounds great. Mm. Shit. And Nick, what's your recommendation? Um, let's see. Oh, there was a restaurant um, here in Melbourne that I really liked. Um, it's called um, Donovan's. Um, it was something from Worth It. Oh, wait, what's that smell? Hey, Mandy, where's that smell coming from? Shit. Okay. Actually, guys, I got, I got to go. Um, got to put on the kitchen. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. In lockdown. His apartment's on fire. Uh, tune in at our next episode to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Will Nick survive his 
apartment fire. Anyway, that's another episode of Lifestyle Regular Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week. See ya. See you later.